We are officially two weeks into the season. Some things have revealed themselves, some things remain question marks. Let's talk about what we know. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts! Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man! I think Notre Dame got it right there! Hello everyone, welcome to the show. Week 2 is officially in the books, and now we still don't know a lot, but we can take this time to dive in and find out what we do know. Now, I got a little sidetracked from what I said this podcast was going to be about. It's not supposed to be about predictions, super in-game analysis, although I will give my fair share of those things. It's more supposed to be about breaking down the season as we go and talking about different issues within college football. So what I want to do is still break down some of the matchups from the last week, but honestly, this is more of a week one and two recap as I'll zoom out and try to talk about what we know so far, what's possible for some teams, what's not possible, what's possible for some conferences and not possible, and just really attack the landscape as it's unveiled to us right now, and mostly talk about what hasn't been revealed to us, because that's what's most important. I talked about people overreacting a lot in the last episode when I recapped week one and talked about how people just overreact to all these early things. That's still going on to a fair extent, but also there are some things that you can tell now that two games have been played for pretty much every team. So one thing that I, I'm pretty sure we do know, and again, this still isn't 100% certain, but one thing I'm pretty sure we do know as of now is that Georgia is really good. Probably just as good as they were last year, if not better. Now, why do we know that? It's because a lot of evidence suggests that South Carolina isn't bad. South Carolina was a 9-4 and team last year that had some up and downs, but overall performed fairly well outside of the Clemson game. They were pretty much in every game. I know the Georgia game got away from them towards the end, but there's a lot of talent on this team, and Will Muschamp has done a pretty good job building them back up. And regardless of what might happen to South Carolina going forward, you know, maybe they end up losing four games again this season, but they believed in themselves coming into this game, and that is very important in college football. The mental side of things is extreme. This was a home game for South Carolina, a place where Georgia has had a hard time winning the last decade. And they went in there and put the beat down on them. Now that did not start that way in this game. A lot of um, Georgia fans are acting like they just completely steamrolled this team from the get-go. And that, that did not happen. This game was relatively competitive and within reach for South Carolina until about midway through the third quarter. Now, Georgia always had control of the game, but South Carolina was competing. Their crowd was in it. This was a big-time matchup, and Georgia basically showed that their athletes were superior. 
Obviously, Kirby Smart is a great coach, but this didn't really come across as a game where someone was out-coached, necessarily. I think Will Muschamp's team was good to go and knew what they had to do, and at the end of the day, they just could not go four quarters with Georgia. So the main takeaways from from this game for me are that basically Georgia is very good. They have just as good of a chance as anybody to win the national championship, make a playoff run, win the SEC, go to a big bowl game. They really look the part. Their running game hasn't really dropped off. I kind of predicted this in my predictions saying that even though Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle are gone, they really haven't dropped off that much in talent. DeAndre Swift looks awesome running the ball. So does Elijah Holyfield. He, he scored a couple times. He looked really good. And we didn't see much of James Cook yesterday in the South Carolina game, but he showed even in the Week 1 matchup that he's capable. This Georgia rushing attack isn't going anywhere. And Jake Fromm is playing very, very well. He kind of just comes in under the radar. But he distributes the ball out to everyone in a very good way. And South Carolina's defenders, just as this game progressed, just couldn't keep up and make the plays. Georgia's athletes showed that they were far superior. And I think it's safe to say that we need to really watch out for Georgia this year, which is no surprise. That's what a lot of people predicted. But it's very obvious that they're very talented and there really isn't anyone else in the East that looks like they can compete with them. South Carolina was probably the next best team in the East as of right now. Florida just lost to Kentucky. It doesn't seem like they're going to be anything too special this year. Um, Kentucky is still Kentucky. Tennessee is just abysmal and probably going to have a pretty bad year again, it looks like. They're rebuilding. So, I don't see how anyone at this point could challenge Georgia for the East. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, like, certain conferences are a one-team race. You know, like, like ACC, people think Clemson, it's Clemson and everybody else. But nothing could be more than Georgia in their own division. Obviously, the SEC West has a lot of teams that could probably compete with Georgia. Obviously, Alabama. It looks like LSU, maybe even Texas A&M after what we saw last night. Auburn's a really good team. Mississippi State looks like they're strong right now. But I don't think it would be surprising at all if Georgia just ran through the East. Even if they slipped up and lost a game, which happens to almost everybody these days in college football, They, I don't see another team that would be up there with them that would take advantage of that loss. The only other team I see that would only lose one or two games in the division is South Carolina, and Georgia just beat them. So Georgia would have to lose two conference games in order for South Carolina to leap them back, and I just don't see that happening at this point. But moving on now to other news, something that I find to be pretty hypocritical is I've heard, I saw it on College Football Final last night after the games, I saw it on ESPN again, I heard it on several podcasts, these two consistent things over and over again. And I think they're hypocritical of each other. So I heard a lot of people say that Michigan looks great after their win yesterday, where they beat Western Michigan 49-3. to And part of that is true. They did look good. They look like a complete football team. They look like the team that we expected them to be coming into this year. Not that a win over Western Michigan is that impressive, but the way they did it in dominating fashion, 
they look good. And I don't have a problem with that statement and what people are saying about Michigan. The contrary, though, is that a lot of people saying that exact thing are now saying that they don't believe in Notre Dame, that Notre Dame is really, really iffy. And I and I can see how that alone might be true, but you can't have both of these things be true because Notre Dame just beat Michigan. Now, Notre Dame played Ball State yesterday, and they barely won the game, at least as far as the score box is concerned. And Brandon Winbush, their quarterback, did not play very well. He threw several picks. He did not look like he was in control of the offense. Definitely seems like he took a step back after his week one performance against Michigan, which was pretty good. But people that are all over Michigan now, it's like, did you just forget who beat them pretty good last week? That was Notre Dame. So while Michigan rebounded from the Notre Dame loss and came out really well and beat Western Michigan, Notre Dame, it just looks like they didn't take this team seriously that they were playing and just kind of wanted to get it over with, which is not a good mentality to have, don't get me wrong. And it's possible that Notre Dame is not quite what I thought they were, which is basically a playoff contender, a very good team that should go 11-1 and maybe this year. But I don't think that their performance against Ball State is anything to judge them by considering what we have in the Michigan game and considering what Michigan just did yesterday, showing that they can come out and play legitimate football. I think, like I said before, Notre Dame and Michigan are both really good football teams, and that week one game was a big-time matchup where someone had to win and someone had to lose. And so many times in these matchups, we act like, oh, the loser, we just write them off, or we say, you know, this coach sucks. Like, the loser of the Michigan-Notre Dame game, their coach was going to be ridiculed. He was going to be on the hot seat, especially those two coaches. It seems like Brian Kelly and Jim Harbaugh are the two most successful coaches with the hot seat being brought up on them all the time. And someone had to lose that game, guys. That's, That's the way college football works. Someone had to lose the game. Now, if one of them would have blown the other one out and made them look terrible then I understand how we could criticize that team more. And Michigan did not look great against Notre Dame for most of the game, especially early on. But I think Notre Dame is really good. And although they didn't look good against Ball State, I think that a lot of teams, especially after a big-time emotional victory at home at night, come out soft the next week against an inferior opponent that they think that they're going to just steamroll. That's why the mental part of college football is so important. I think if Michigan would have beaten Notre Dame last week in a close game, you would have seen them come out a little flat this week and not have stomped Western Michigan so bad. And maybe Notre Dame, after losing last week, if that's what would have happened, they would have come out and just beat Ball State to a pulp this week, feeling like they had something to prove. Or it is possible that Notre Dame isn't that good, but that means Michigan is is even worse. So I just hate when I hear contradicting statements when breaking down teams, literally not even like two seconds after I heard people getting done talking about how they really were feeling weird about Notre Dame and that Notre Dame is shady. They went right on into the Michigan game and said, yeah, Michigan looks like they're right back in this thing, blah, 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 blah. You know, so I think pump the brakes on both of those things significantly. Michigan has a tough road ahead of them, and so does Notre Dame. Both of these teams, regardless of how good they are, have losable games on the schedule. 
Notre Dame and Michigan, it's hard to even say who has a tougher schedule. Michigan has the rest of their Big Ten slate, so they've got Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Notre Dame has to play Stanford, Virginia Tech, Florida State comes to Notre Dame, then they're at USC to end the year. Both of them could lose two, three games going forward, and they still wouldn't even be that bad of teams if that happened. So I just am sick and tired of hearing people kind of contradict themselves when they talk about those two teams. I think both of them are in very good shape right now. I don't bash Notre Dame at all for having a mediocre performance a week after they beat a very good Michigan team. That's just what happens a lot of times in college football. So enough of that. Moving on to another interesting game slash topic debate about what we know and don't know, and that is what happened in College Station last night as Jimbo Fisher led Texas A&M to an almost come-from-behind victory against Clemson. It was a lot closer than a lot of people thought. And I've been telling people that watch out for A&M. This game's going to be close. And everyone was like, oh, no, Clemson should steamroll them. And I see why people would say that. But you have to remember who's coaching Texas A&M now. It's Jimbo Fisher. And he might lose badly to some other SEC schools this year. But the reason why he had a shot against Clemson is because he's played Clemson every year since 2007 when he was at Florida State. There's probably no coach that knows Clemson better than Jimbo Fisher. And I forget exactly what the total yardage was that Clemson gave up um, passing. I think it was 430 yards or something like that. But I do know that that was the first time they've given up that many passing yards to an opponent since Jameis Winston in Florida State did back in 2013. So that should just tell you that Jimbo knows how to play Clemson tight. If you look at the two last years at Florida State where they were pretty inferior to Clemson, especially last year where I think Florida State was like 3-5 and five going into the game against Clemson, they still played them very tough, and that game was in Death Valley. Um, if you go to 2016, if it wasn't for a questionable block in the back call towards the end of the game, Florida State probably should have won that game against Clemson in 16. And Clemson went on to win the national title that year. So Jimbo knows Clemson. That's why I was not surprised to see this game close at all. And some takeaways we can take away that Clemson is definitely a very good team, as we all knew. I don't think this brings them down in any way. Some people that just don't respect A&M, probably because there wasn't a little number next to their name when they played this game, are saying, oh, Clemson's not as good as I thought they were. That's baloney to me. I think for Clemson to go into College Station in week two and beat Texas A&M is very impressive. I don't need you to go beat the fourth-ranked team in week two to show that you're impressive. And that's also because we don't know where Texas A&M is going to be ranked at the end of the year. I think they looked good. They might lose four games this year, five games, but I really don't see them getting blown out at all this year. Now, they might lose a close game to Alabama, a close game to LSU, a close game to Auburn. They're, the talent level might not be there yet to where they can beat those teams, but with Jimbo Fisher coaching them, they are going to have a chance to be in all of those games, especially teams with good defenses. Jimbo's good at dialing up plays and making things happen. The Clemson defense didn't play bad in this game. Their defensive line still got after it, made some plays, showed they were the number one defensive line in the country, but 
Texas A&M still had a chance to win the game. They were a failed two-point conversion away from tying the game up and sending it to overtime. And while I'm talking about this game, I also want to say, speaking of the two-point conversion and Texas A&M coming back, before Texas A&M scored, if you go back a drive before that, they had the ball, they were driving, one of their receivers caught a pass, was running towards the end zone, and Clemson player knocked the ball out of his hands at around the two-yard line. And I feel like it was pretty obvious that that ball went out of bounds. It did not go out of the back of the end zone. However, the referees ruled it a fumble on the field that did go out of the end zone. They called it a touchback on the field. So that was the call on the field. And then when they were reviewing it and looking at the video evidence... Even though, in my opinion, it was still pretty clear that it went out of bounds, there just was not a perfect angle that could give you 100% proof that it didn't. And because the call on the field was a fumble out of the end zone, they had no choice but to stick with that call. And I think rightfully so, Jimbo Fisher was irate with the officials afterwards. And how could he not be? I mean, that is such a huge play in that moment. And it's just really unfortunate that the call went that way for Texas A&M because I think that if they would have ruled that it did go out of bounds and then reviewed it, there's no way they could have said that it went out of the end zone after calling it in bounds. So that's really frustrating. It wasn't what ended up doing Texas A&M in. Again, they did make Clemson go three and out after that, got the ball back, did go down and score, and then just didn't get the two-point conversion. But still, if Texas A&M scores right there and doesn't get the two-point conversion, then they still have all the time in the world to force that same three and out and then go score again. And they would have just needed a field goal. So that play really did cost them the game. Not saying that the officials blew this game and that Texas A&M lost because of that, but definitely they would have had a better chance of winning had that call gone what, in my opinion, is the right way. And while we're on that subject, I also want to say that I don't think it's a bad rule. I've heard on several podcasts yesterday and today and on some talk shows that, oh, one of the worst rules in college football is this touchback out of the end zone. Like, what? How is that a bad rule? That makes perfect sense to me. You fumble going into the end zone, it goes out of the back, a touchback, the other team's ball. I don't have a problem with that at all. That's like saying that, if you're backed up to your own end zone and you get sacked or you fumble out of the back of your own end zone, that it shouldn't be a safety. Obviously, it should be a safety. Obviously, if you fumble going forward, it should be a touchback. You can't fumble the ball forward. I mean, what else would there be, right? If you fumble the ball out of bounds at the one-yard line, you get the ball at the one-yard line. If you fumble out of the back of the end zone going into score, where would they put the ball? Like, what, you just get it on the one-yard line now? Or, I mean, I don't know. It just it doesn't make sense. You fumble, that should always be a bad thing unless you recover the fumble or you get saved by the sidelines. That's it. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Let's talk about something else that we do pretty much know now, and that is that Penn State is for real and that everybody was overreacting to their very close game with Appalachian State last week because they went into Heinz Field and just thromped what I think is a pretty decent pit team. And this game was rainy, it was wet. This is a rivalry game, both teams being from Pennsylvania, and Penn State just went in there and just throttled them in every way. McSorley looked awesome. 
He's slinging the ball around. He was running the ball well. Penn State's defense played good. And I think they definitely showed that, hey, last week was a fluke and that they're ready to compete with anybody right now. They looked really good. I was very impressed. The pouring rain and wetness didn't seem to affect them at all. They moved the ball just fine. Their receivers are very good. McSorley has tons of weapons he can distribute the ball to. So, And the defense stepped up because, again, the one thing that Pitt had is an offense, and that's why I think a lot of people thought Pitt had a chance in this game is because Pittsburgh's kind of known for their offense and their firepower, and they throw the ball a lot. And Penn State's defense, a lot of people had it under question after what happened last week, but they didn't give Pitt any room to breathe. Pitt could not execute against Penn State, and maybe Pitt's really bad, but I think they're at least just as good as Appalachian State was, and Penn State went in there and just beat them down. So Penn State's looking really good. I'm excited to see what they do going forward. I predicted them to be a playoff team this year. I still feel pretty good about that. I think they're the perfect team that has the ability to just get better and better each week. I really see them as a team that just, as the season progresses, gets more and more dangerous and more and more scary to play. I think by the end of the season, even if they do suffer a loss, at the end of the season, Penn State's going to be very similar to how they ended the 2016 season, where they're just looking unstoppable and you're scratching your head thinking, okay, this, this team should be in the playoff. So... Watch out for Penn State, especially if you play them late. I think they're just going to get better and better as the weeks go by. And now I want to talk about something that we definitely don't know yet, and that is what to make of the Arizona State-Michigan State game. First of all, pretty good game. I was barely awake watching it. I had a long day on Saturday, and I was laying in bed, like, falling asleep to it. I remember faintly watching the field goal go in, and then, like, literally, like, my eyes shut, like, right then. And I see a lot of people kind of immediately jumping to the conclusion that Michigan State was upset big time. And they definitely did get upset. They should have went down there and won this game on paper based on what we know. But now everyone's kind of assuming, okay, they're writing them off completely. And I understand that when you look at the rest of their division, you look at Michigan, they've been tested by Notre Dame. They look good, and they just won Ohio State looks unbelievable right now, even though they haven't really played anybody. Penn State looks legit. So I definitely see why it's easy to go, okay, well, now what we've seen from Michigan State, they're not competing with those three teams. But I wouldn't say that's quite true. Big 10 teams have actually struggled at Arizona State lately. I mean, you can go back to when Wisconsin lost there recently. A couple other teams haven't done so well there in the last five to seven years. And Another thing is, is that Arizona State might be a decent team. I definitely don't think they're a playoff contender, but I think they're an outside New Year's Six Bowl contender. The only other team in the South that I feel like they're going to have to go compete well against is either USC or maybe Utah. But I definitely see them making a South run in the Pac-12 if they perform well. I mean, they could just be a pretty decent team. And here's the other thing is, as far as the whole Michigan State part's concerned, is it's one of those things, I'm going to say this later about Miami and some other teams, just like I said about Michigan, that loss doesn't matter. At the end of the day, just like I was saying about Michigan losing to Notre Dame, as long as they go take care of business in the Big Ten, it's not going to matter that much. If Michigan State finds a way to beat Penn State, 
Michigan and Ohio State and doesn't slip up against someone they're not supposed to lose to, they're going to find themselves 11-1 going into the Big Ten championship game. And then if they win that game, they would be in the playoff. So don't write Michigan State off. And also, they didn't look terrible in this game. There were some plays left out on the field. You also got to think, they're playing in Arizona. That game didn't kick off until like 7.30 p.m. West Coast time. So basically it's almost midnight by the clocks of the Michigan State players. By the time that game ends, it's like, you know, almost 2 in the morning for on their schedule. It was over 100 degrees down there. And Lewerke actually looked pretty good to me. Even though the offense struggled, I felt like Lewerke looked pretty solid. And I would not be surprised if Michigan State made a pretty decent run in the Big Ten. I, I mean, it's hard to look at them and say, oh, they're going to be able to compete with an Alabama or a Georgia or a Clemson right now. But they definitely could improve throughout the season, which is what Mark and D'Antonio Michigan State teams usually do and find themselves in a good spot come the end of the year. And also, don't write off Arizona State. Arizona State could be a pretty decent team, and that would be pretty cool to see Arizona State and Herm Edwards getting it done and having success because nobody thought Herm Edwards was going to be a success at Arizona State. Just kind of like a lot of people thought that Kevin Sumlin coming into Arizona was going to have a lot of success. And boy, has the opposite been true, especially on the Arizona side. They are just struggling. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem like Kevin Sumlin's making good decisions. I mean, you have Khalil Tate, who is probably the best running quarterback in college football right now. And you're just, not running them. They're they're not running him. They're putting him in the pocket, trying to make him pass. It's like, no, let him do what he does best and make some plays. I mean, Arizona's 0-2 now, and they have looked pretty bad in both their games, especially against Houston on Saturday. So that's one thing we do know. If you want to talk about things we do or don't know, Arizona looks bad, and it's not like they've lost to anybody that's that great. I mean, Houston has a chance to be pretty good in the group of five schools, and then BYU's okay, but Arizona's in trouble. They don't look like they're going to be able to win a lot of games this year based on what we've seen so far. Okay, so now what I want to talk about is the state of Florida, both figuratively and literally. Literally, the state of Florida, the you know the location and the state that it's in when it comes to its Power 5 football teams in Florida State, Florida, and Miami. Andrea Adelson had a pretty good article today on ESPN that basically talked about how the Florida schools are down. And that's like 95% true. I, I'll talk in a second how I don't think that's quite true with Miami to the extent. But basically, yeah, the Florida schools are down. And it's just people are scratching their heads because there was a point in time where college football ran through the state of Florida. I mean, you go back to the 90s, it was basically Florida State, Florida, Miami. One of those three teams was going to go play Nebraska in the national championship. I mean, that's basically how the 90s, especially the early 90s, unfolded. The Florida State-Miami games all through the early 90s were all top five matchups. I'm talking both teams being a top five team. You think about the two wide rights that were able to let Miami go and play in two national t title games while Florida State didn't get to go to national title games. And then in 93, Florida State finally beats Miami, and they go to the national title game versus Nebraska. They're able to win. 
And same with the Florida State-Florida rivalry. I mean, pretty much every year from 1990 until 2001, that game was between two top five teams. Specifically, the late 90s, they were both always in the top five. And literally, you had like three years in a row, if you want to count 98, 99, and 2000, where the winner of the Florida State-Florida game is going to the national championship game. So basically, de facto playoffs. And then after the 90s, when literally all three programs were at a pinnacle peak, you started to move into them taking turns. So then in the early 2000s, Miami was just unbelievable. They had their 2001 national championship team and their 2002 team that should have won the national championship, almost did, if it weren't for the uh, questionable call in the Ohio State game that went to overtime. But those teams were just ridiculous, NFL talent ridden all over the field. And then you moved on to mid-2000s, basically from 2006 to 2009, the Urban Meyer Florida Gators, which were some phenomenal teams. They won the national title in 06, and then in 08, almost repeated again in 09, but Saban finally beat him in the SEC championship game that year before he went on to win his first title at Alabama. And then they kind of dwindled out. You had Jimbo Fisher's rise at Florida State, and basically from 2012 to 2016, Florida State was that team in Florida in a premier program. They went to a New Year's Six game every one of those years, including a national championship game that they won in 13, and then a, they were in the very first playoff against Oregon in 14. And now, yeah, based on what we've seen early in the season, it's like all three of them are down. Florida State, who has no good wins right now, has the best win of any team in Florida. And that win is over Samford, an FCS school. A good FCS school, mind you, but Florida's best win is Charleston Southern, and Samford's a lot better than them. And Miami's best win is against Savannah State, and Samford's a lot better than them. They all have losses, Florida State losing to Virginia Tech and losing bad. Miami losing to LSU and losing bad. And Florida snapped their like 31-year-in-a-row win streak over Kentucky. So it's easy to look at that and go, okay, they're in really bad shape. And I think there is a lot of truth to that, but also some stuff that's not true with that. And mind you, all three of these schools are coming under recent coaching changes. Florida State and Florida are in the first year of their new coaching changes. And they all, I think, have their own different problems. At Florida State, it's really frustrating. Obviously, you guys know that's my team. And it's pretty hard to say exactly what the main issue is there, other than the fact that their offensive line is terrible. But it does seem like coaching has a pretty big part in it. I mean, it was pretty shocking to me that after the Florida State lost to Virginia Tech that Willie Taggart just looked, you know, shocked. Like, he just had no comprehension that they could suffer a loss like that. And, you know, his new offense is all about lethal simplicity. And everyone in Tallahassee was all excited because Jimbo's offense was complicated and athletes weren't getting on the field. And now we're just going to go, 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 get the athletes in space. But now it's like, it seems like this offense is too simple. And I was a big Jimbo guy. And the one thing I liked about Jimbo, and I think this was shown this weekend in the Texas A&M game is that no matter what the down and distance, no matter what's going on, Jimbo has plays dialed up for almost every situation, every defense, and you always felt like he was going to give you a chance to get a first down, to make this certain play that would work, where 
Willie Taggart's offense right now, it's kind of reminding me of, you know, a lot of these spread teams where it's like either the rhythm is clicking or you're not making plays. There's not really an in-between. Either the offense is flying high and your tempo's going well, you're moving the ball down the field, you're making big play after big play, you're scoring a lot of points, and you're blowing teams out, or you're just literally stuck in a complete stall. And that is really frustrating to me, and that's like something just as a personal Florida State fan, I was afraid would happen, and that's definitely happening. Now, I will say some Florida State fans are overreacting a little bit. It's really easy, and I try to keep myself from going here too, but it's really easy to say, okay, this was the wrong hire. Willie Tiger's not going to get it done. But let's not forget, a lot of coaches have struggled early. I mean, even I remember as a Florida State fan when Jimbo Fisher was first at Florida State in 2010, Florida State went to Oklahoma. I want to say Oklahoma was like number 10, Florida State was like 17th, and Florida State fans felt pretty good going into that game. My dad and I actually went to that game. It was a fun time. Norman, Oklahoma is a good place. If, if you haven't gone, you should check it out. But Florida State got absolutely spanked in that game. I mean, Oklahoma just went up and down the field on it. Like, the defense looked like they were playing flag football and Oklahoma was doing whatever they wanted. And I remember after that game, people were like, okay, Jimbo can't coach. Mark Stoops, the D coordinator, can't coach. And this is abysmal. Well, it turned out to be the exact opposite. They rallied that season to make the ACC championship game and had a decent year. And then a couple years later, they were playing in Orange Bowls, going to national championships, playoffs, winning 29 straight games. The Mark Stoops defense in 11 and 12 were phenomenal. Florida State's defense was absolutely unbelievable that year. And then even in 13 with Jeremy Pruitt. And the offenses continued to get better once... Jimbo got his quarterbacks in there. You go from Manuel, EJ Manuel, to Jameis Winston. Those offenses were putting up numbers. He had his recruits. So, and there's been plenty of other examples. I mean, guys, even Kirby Smart right now. If you, Kirby Smart's second year is what we all think of last year, and it was it was great. They only lost one game. They made it all the way to the national championship game and lost in overtime on a crazy play. But Kirby Smart's first year, Georgia lost five games and he inherited a good roster just like Taggart did just like a lot of coaches have and they lost five games they only beat Nickel State like 26 to 24 I want to say or something like that last year or I mean sorry in 2016 Kirby Smart's first year and then look at what the job he's done you know you go back to look at Chip Kelly when he first took over at Oregon they went to Boise State and got beat like I want to say like 16 or 18 to 8 or something like that like they they scored one touchdown and then Later that year, they were one of the highest scoring offenses of the whole season. So, and also on the contrary, there's been a lot of coaches that have gone in and had success in their first year or looked really good on their opening night in a, in a game and then ended up being terrible. I mean, you can look at Brady Hoke. His first year at Michigan was really good. I think they went to the Sugar Bowl that year. And then look how that ended. It was It was pretty bad. So while we do know that Florida State in the short term this year, it doesn't look like they're going to be a nine and eight win team. Maybe I mean, honestly, it, it looks like they might not even win seven games this year. And it is, I think we do know for a fact, Florida State will continue to struggle this year. But one thing that we can't definitively say, even if we think it's obvious right now, we can't say that Taggart's a bad coach yet. I understand Florida State fans, trust me, I'm one of you. I kind of want to say that right now. I'm frustrated. I'm already missing Jimbo a little bit, but 
just based on history, I don't think we can quite jump the gun and say, Taggart's not a good coach, this was a bad hire. I think everything has potential to be fine. He's going to recruit, and at the end of the day, if you have the best players in the state of Florida, you basically have the best players in the country, and it's going to be pretty hard for you to lose all your games eventually. You also got to think that the Florida State players were running Jimbo's pro-style offense, which is very complicated, all about analyzing defenses and huddling, and now Taggart's installing his offense, and I think people underestimate how long it can take to really get an offense going, especially when, you know, quarterback, in this case DeAndre Francois, he really has to adjust and understand this offense, and it might take him a whole season to do that, and who knows, maybe by the end of the year, Florida State's putting up some points and and beating some teams, which is good for them because their schedule is very backloaded. Um, They do play Miami pretty early coming up, but honestly, the way Florida State's playing, there isn't a game on their schedule left that you say, oh, that's a win. That's a guaranteed win. Based on what we've seen so far, there's no game on Florida State's schedule that you can say, oh, look, that's a win. So that's frustrating for Florida State fans, and I understand. But anyway, let's move on to Florida. Their problems are a little different. I think this season, they're okay. They did just lose to Kentucky, but, I mean, Felipe Franks just isn't, a guy that's going to make a lot of flashy plays. I think he's just limited. But Dan Mullen is going to get the best out of him. Whatever he's capable of, whatever his ceiling is, Dan Mullen's going to get him to reach that because that's just what he does with quarterbacks. So Florida, I'm not exactly sure what all their problems were. I, I watched their Charleston Southern game, and then I didn't watch a lot of the Kentucky game. But one thing I do also know that we can't say it is maybe Kentucky's pretty decent. I mean, this is like Mark Stoops, like, I want to, fifth year there? Fifth, sixth? It's not the sixth, is it? I'm not sure. But he's been there a while. And like I said, he was the very good defensive coordinator up at Florida State. And maybe he just, over time, and remember, this is Kentucky. It's not a place you go and turn around in two years. It might take longer. Maybe he's finally getting them up to speed, basically doing what Dan Mullen did down in Mississippi State. So... We don't know how good these teams are yet. Florida, I think, is in better shape than Florida State when it comes to the long term. However, in the future, I think Florida State has a lot more going for it than Florida because of recruiting. It seems like Willie Taggart is going to be a little better at recruiting than Dan Mullen. I mean, that's at least what it says right now. If you look at the rankings right now, Florida State is doing a lot better than Florida. Now, that could change if Florida State is terrible this year and Florida gets it together a little more on the field though I mean Dan Mullen is just a better coach or at least a more proven coach right now if you were to put Dan Mullen on the field versus Willie Taggart I think Florida would spank Florida State right now the way Florida State's playing the way their offense just has no answer Dan Mullen's a smart head coach he's been a head coach in the SEC for a long time this is Willie Taggart's first year coaching in a real conference outside of, you know, his Pac-12 experience with Oregon last year. And, yeah, I just think Florida would definitely have the on-field coaching advantage right now. But Florida just isn't where they want to be right now either. I mean, both of these programs, you're talking Florida and Florida State, they both expect to be winning national championships every year. And there's a lot of fan bases like that. And it's unrealistic because at the end of the day, only one team can win a national championship each year. And the way Alabama has been playing the last decade... They're kind of up there at that spot, and you're probably not going to be a team winning a national championship every other year while Nick Saban is at Alabama. And then if you 
look away from Alabama, there's two other programs, one being Ohio State, the other being Georgia, that are kind of imitating that system and doing pretty well. So Florida schools just need to do a good job at keeping their kids in Florida, doing well on the field coaching, and they have potential to be just like the 90s. I mean, one thing that I was excited about when uh, Florida State and Florida made these new hires is I was like, okay, we have potential to get back to the 90s because it looked like Miami was on track. And I know a lot of people are questioning that. And that's the one part where this I think this article is wrong. I think Miami's fine. Miami beat Savannah State, which is nothing to ride home about, but they did beat them bad. They put up like 70-plus points. And yeah, they did lose to LSU, and they did lose bad to LSU. But guys, you can get beat bad and still be a very good team. Look at 2013 when Florida State was the national champion. They went into Clemson and just laid the whooping on them, beat them down. Clemson obviously did not know what's coming, what was coming that night, and Florida State won like 41 to 14. It was crazy. Clemson was ranked number three. Florida State came in at number five. That's still probably one of the biggest games the ACC's had up to this point. And Florida State just was the better team that night. But I think everyone will tell you, Florida State fans and Clemson fans especially, that Florida State wasn't going to beat Clemson 10 out of 10 times that year. They got them that night, but if they play the next week, maybe Clemson wins. I mean, Clemson was a super talented team in 2013. I think they finished the regular season 10-2, and their only losses being to Florida State, and then they lost a close one to South Carolina at the end of the year, who was pretty good that year. But they beat Georgia, who had Todd Gurley at the beginning of the year, and then they went and they beat a really good Ohio State team in the Orange Bowl that had only lost one game. So you can, my whole point is basically you can get beat kind of bad and still be a really good football team. Miami has a chance to finish better than LSU. And I know everyone's talking about, oh, conference supremacy. And it's like, what does that really matter? The only reason to really have conference pride and root on your conference is so that your team looks better if you think there might be some controversy on them getting in the playoff at the end of the year. But other than that, there's really no reason. I don't understand why people are so, oh, conference pride, conference pride. Like, cool, LSU beat Miami's butt at the beginning of the year. They whooped them. And, and, you know, everyone's like, oh, like the fourth, fifth best team in the SEC West just spanked the ACC's second best team. And, yeah, that's true. That happened. But at the end of the day, LSU's probably going to go lose three or four games this year. And Miami probably isn't. Even if Miami's not close to being as good as LSU or five other teams in the SEC, the reality is is they're probably going to win at the very least eight games, probably ten games again, unless they just fall apart. And that means they're going to have a better season than LSU. So if I'm an LSU fan, I would rather have a 9-10 win season, 11 win season possibly, then say, oh, yeah, we, we're in the SEC. Because really all that is is an, is an excuse for you to go 8-4 and four and feel good about yourself. I don't care what conference you're in. I don't care how good the competition is or how bad the competition is. An 11-1, 10-2 is always better than a 9-4, 8-5 season. It, it just is. And... You might be able to say, yeah, I'm in the SEC, I'm in a tough division, and feel a little better about it. But at the end of the day, you want to win more games than other teams. 
So, and just focusing back on Miami, I don't think they're in a lot of trouble. I think they got beat by an LSU team that they totally underestimated, that they thought they were going to, you know, go in there and beat because, again, college football is so mental and everybody thought Miami was really good. We're going to rank them number eight. People were talking a lot of crap about LSU. People, Some people were like, why is LSU even ranked? Ed Orgeron's going to be fired by week two or week three, blah, 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 blah. And they obviously just were super motivated and they went in there and they shut down Miami and we saw what happens. But Miami, again, like I've said before, still has a chance to rally and most of the games on Miami scheduled outside of maybe Virginia Tech now who looks good and I mean Florida State doesn't look good so there's not a lot of games going forward where Miami isn't going to be favored and they might you know do what they did last year go 11 and 1 or something and then get their butts whooped by Clemson again maybe but LSU's got at least 3 games coming up where they're not going to be favored. They still have to play Georgia from the East, let alone Alabama and Auburn in their own division. Texas A&M looks good. I mean, the road to success just looks a lot harder for LSU, which is probably why they needed that win really bad. But anyway, going forward, I think the Florida schools will all eventually be okay with the staffs they have now. Willie Taggart, because I think he's going to recruit like a monster, which will make up for whatever he might be lacking for on-the-field coaching right now. Also, he has a good staff around him. Florida State just needs to find an, their identity and an offensive line because they have a lot of talent. I mean, they have some receivers that are pretty ridiculous. Termon Terry, the guy I told all of you guys to be looking out for, he made some pretty crazy catches in Florida State's come from behind win over Samford and Florida State's defense looks all right their offensive line is just terrible and they're not very good at running this offense right now and Taggart just doesn't seem at least to me that he knows quite what he wants this team's identity to be Dan Mullen is just kind of rebuilding a culture I mean just like Florida State is but Dan Mullen's rebuilding just a different culture bringing his thing in there and I think he's just limited with quarterback play right now Felipe Franks isn't that good but in the long haul, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, if Dan Mullen c can do what he did at Mississippi State, and again, he was doing that while Nick Saban was at Alabama, while Les Miles was at LSU having a lot of success. You know, Dan Mullen did what he did at Mississippi State while the SEC was in its prime. And the SEC is still probably, you know, the best conference, but they're not as good as they were three, four years ago basically the run they had from like 2005 to 2015-ish. You know, the SEC was just absolutely insane. And they're still the best conference, I think, but they're not quite what they were before. And now Dan Mullen's at a place like Florida with even more resources. So I think in the long run, all three of the Florida schools are going to be fine. And I really hope, just from my own personal f fan perspective, that we can get back to a point where all three of these schools are competing for conference titles, national titles, big-time bowl games every year. And it's just better for college football. When when Florida State and Florida are lining up each other and there's low numbers next to their names, like they're both in the top 10 or top 15 or at least ranked, that's just better for college football because that's what we're used to seeing over the last you know several decades versus last year, I think they were both like 4-8 and eight or you know 3-8 three and, three and eight going into the, the game against each other. You know, same with Miami. So... It'd be nice to see all of them back, and I still think there's potential for them to, to get back. Maybe not this year for Florida State, but 
the future is okay. I would tell everyone to pump the brakes on trying to get Willie Taggart out of town already. I think we got to give him more time. He's struggled early at most of the jobs that he's gone to before turning it around. So we just got to give him time and let this play out. All right, that's all I have for today. I didn't get to a lot of things. I think I'm going to try to get another podcast out before the weekend and the next games come up. Last week, I wasn't able to do that just because, like I said, I was traveling, got got home late on Tuesday, then tried to record the podcast Wednesday, didn't get it out till Thursday, and then you have the weekend. So I'm getting this out here. It's Monday late afternoon. It's going to be almost 8 p.m. by the time this is posted. So I'll try to get another one up maybe Thursday or Friday. Then we'll have you know the next slate of games and we'll break stuff down more. But thanks for listening, guys. If you're on iTunes, please give me a rate and some feedback. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Like what you're seeing on Facebook or whatnot. Really appreciate it. But thanks for listening. Everybody have a great day. And I will see you next time on Let's Talk College Football.